بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته and welcome to this week's edition of Living the Legacy Today on the program as part of our legacy development we're learning all about keeping the peace during the holiday our guest later on today is the COO of Al-Qaf, South Africa, an educator and a life coach. Shahin Satokan takes us through um, how we can keep peace during the holiday, what we can do when we are mentally exhausted ourselves, and how to navigate through the fine print when it comes to holiday blues, financial stress during the holidays, older people on the holidays, and learning to say no. We're hearing more from Shahista on this topic later on in the program, inshallah. But to begin our program today, a beautiful but brief summary, a reminder for us all about the life of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And we thought that since it being the holiday period, many of us home from work and school or studies, it's a, it's a great opportunity to revise, to summarize, to review our Islamic history. Today, we're looking at Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's life in brief. Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam was born in Mecca on the 12th of Rabi' al-Awwal. His father passed away before his birth and the infant, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, was handed to a Bedouin wet nurse to be brought up by her in the healthy atmosphere of the desert. At the age of five, he returned to the care of his mother, Amina bint Wahab, but she passed away a year later. Rasulullah then went on to his paternal grandfather, Abdul Muttalib. He passed away when Nabi Muhammad was only eight years old. And so he was then brought up by his uncle, Abu Talib. At the age of 12, he accompanied his uncle in a merchant's caravan to Syria. Nabi Muhammad was content to work as a shepherd, but his uncle Abu Talib desired something better for him and obtained him employment with a rich, with a rich widow, Khadija bin Zahwailid ibn Asad. And thus, Rasulullah found himself at the age of 25 in charge of a caravan conveying merchandise to Syria. On his return, Khadija was so pleased with his successful management of her business and was so attracted by his noble character that she sent her sister to offer the young man Khadija's hand in marriage. Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam had felt drawn to Khadija and so matters were soon arranged. Their 26 years of married life were singularly happy. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam continued to work as a merchant. His fairness further enhanced his reputation as Al-Amin, the trustworthy. He continued to take an ever-increasing interest in public affairs and to exert himself in the service of the poor, the helpless, and the weak. Whenever the iniquities of his people oppressed him, Muhammad retired to the solitude of a cave in Mount Hira 
outside Mecca. There, his soul tried to peer into the mysteries of creation, of life and death, of good and evil, to find order out of chaos. Solitude became a passion with him, and every year he would retire to the cave for the whole month of Ramadan to meditate. It was on one of these occasions when he was 40 years of age that Muhammad sallallahu received the call. One night, while lying absorbed in his thoughts in the solitude of the cave, he was commanded by a mighty voice to go forth and preach. He rose, trembling, and hastened home to seek rest and solitude or solace in Khadija's tender care. She calmed and comforted him. She later consulted her kinsman, Waraka ibn Nawfal. He declared that the heavenly message that had come to Musa السلام, had now come to Muhammad وسلم, and that he was chosen as a prophet of Allah. Khadija was the first to accept the truth of Islam. Nabi Muhammad وسلم, then continued communicated his experience to his cousin Ali, his adopted son Zaid, and his intimate friend Abu Bakr. May Allah be pleased with them all. The Prophet ﷺ began by preaching his mission secretly, first among his intimate friends, then among the members of his own tribe, and thereafter publicly in the city and suburbs. The Quraysh tribe were the guardians of the Kaaba, which was a source of great prestige and profit to their city, Mecca. They were therefore seriously alarmed and became actively hostile towards Muhammad The fury of the people of Mecca knew no bounds. Muhammad was subjected to insults, to personal violence, and to the bitterest persecution, and his reverts were most relentlessly oppressed, persecuted, and tortured. Therefore, in the fifth year of his mission, Muhammad advised them to leave the country and seek refuge from the persecution of the idolaters among the Christian people of Abyssinia. Muhammad and a few stalwart followers remained in Mecca and suffered untold misery and oppression, but still their numbers continued to increase. The Quraysh outlawed Muhammad and asked his clan to forego their right to avenge his blood. The proud clansmen refused to give up the right at the bidding of the people of Mecca, who thereupon boycotted them. After three years, the ban was lifted. A year later, Muhammad وسلم, lost his uncle Abu Talib and his wife Khadija. The death of Abu Talib removed the last check on the Meccans' violence. Persecution grew ever fiercer, and Muhammad sought refuge in the neighboring city of Ta'if, where he was met with great hostility and barely escaped with his life. He took counsel with his Meccan followers 
and it was decided that they should emigrate to Medina Munawwara. They left gradually and unobtrusively and Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam remaining to the last. Their departure was soon discovered by the Quraysh who decided to slay Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam before he too escaped. They therefore cast lots and chose 40 men, one from each clan, who took a solemn vow to kill Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. They were to strike simultaneously so that the murder could not be avenged on any one clan. But on the night they were to kill him, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam left Mecca with Abu Bakr. Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam was now free to preach and his followers increased rapidly. The Muslims could now worship freely and live according to the laws of Allah. But the people of Mecca were not going to allow Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam's movement to take root in Medina. They organized three great expeditions against the city, but all were beaten back. Eventually, the Meccans and Muslims concluded the Treaty of Hudaybiyah to maintain peace and to observe neutrality in their conflicts with third parties. According to the treaty, the Muslims were to return to Medina that year without performing the pilgrimage, but they could come to do that the following year when the Quraysh would vacate the city for them for three days. It was not until the eighth year after Hijri that the Muslims were able to put an end to this war by gaining a bloodless victory over Mecca when the Meccans violated the terms of their treaty. The people of Mecca, who had relentlessly oppressed Nabi Muhammad and his followers for 21 years, expected dire vengeance. But in the hour of their defeat, they were treated with the greatest magnanimity. Go, you are free, were the words with which Muhammad gave them general amnesty. Nabi Muhammad removed all the idols in and around the Kaaba, saying, The truth has come and falsehood vanished. Surah Al-Isra, Ayah 81. And the Muslims' call to prayer was heard in this ancient sanctuary. In the tenth year after Hijri, Nabi Muhammad went to Mecca as a pilgrim and he felt it was for the last time because the revelation he received there included the ayah This day have I perfected your religion for you. Ayah number three of Surah Al-Ma'idah. On his return to Medina Munawwara, he fell ill of a mortal fever. It lasted for 15 days, but he continued to lead the prayer until three days out before his death, when he deputed Abu Bakr radiallahu anhu. At early dawn on the last day of his earthly life, Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam came out from his room beside the mosque and joined the public, the jama'ah for salah. But later in the day he passed away. The end came peacefully, murmuring of pardon and the company of the righteous in paradise. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam breathed his last 
at the age of 63 on the 12th of Rabi'ul Awwal. After his passing, his followers faithfully carried the message of Islam and within 90 years the light of Islam reached Spain, North Africa, the Caucasus, China and India. Allahumma salli ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallam. We go now for an ad break and when we return on the other side of this, we continue our seerah focus. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah, our seerah focus continues here on Living the Legacy. Coming up in the next segment, we hear from Sister Shahista Token, an educator, life coach and the COO of Oqaf South Africa on the topic of keeping the peace during the holidays. But for now, our seerah focus continues. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Before the break, we looked at a brief timeline of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam's life. This was to remind you and I about Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam, and to motivate and inspire us to want to learn more about the seerah during this holiday period. Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam was always cheerful and pleasant-tempered. He was never rude or rough. He only spoke things that brought rewards from Allah Almighty. When he spoke, the listeners would listen to his words with attention. They did not feel any inclination to engage him in heated arguments. Rasulullah would always show patience with a stranger's roughness of manners or harshness of talk. He would say, as is recorded in Al-Bayhaqi, when you see a person seeking an object earnestly, assist him to get his need. And no wonder Allah Almighty said of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam in Surah Al-Qalam, Surah 68, ayah number 4, وَإِنَّكَ لَعَلَى خُلُقٍ عَظِيمٍ And verily you, O Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, are on an exalted standard of character. A person's face not only reflects the feelings of the heart, but also signals his attitude to the world around him. Indeed, one may even say that the total personality of a person is mirrored in the face. And to speak about Prophet Muhammad wasallam, his smiling face was a source of solace and comfort to all those who came to meet him. Not just his words and actions, but the very expressions on his face shed rays of peace and tranquility into the hearts of those who were distressed by the pressures of life or tormented by the afflictions of the soul. Abdullah ibn Harith reported, as is mentioned in At-Tirmidhi, I have never seen anyone more in the habit of smiling than Allah's Messenger. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam's smiles had spread such an aura of indescribable joy among his companions to the extent that they forgot all their anxieties and worries in this presence, in his presence, and became totally fascinated with him. His way was one of harmony and compassion. He was polite and considerate to everyone and always kept a smiling face. Once he told his companions, smiling at your brother is a charity. 
at Tirmidhi. There was an interesting incident reported by the Sahabi Sa'ad bin Abi Waqqas radiallahu anhu. Umar ibn al-Khattab asked permission of Allah's Messenger to see him while some Qurayshi women were sitting with him and they were asking him to give them more financial support while raising their voices over the voice of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa When Umar radiallahu anhu asked permission to enter, all of them hurried to screen themselves and the Prophet admitted that Umar allowed him to enter and he said, while the Prophet was smiling, Umar said, May Allah always keep you smiling, O Allah's Messenger, that my father and mother be sacrificed for you. The Prophet said, I am astonished at these women who were with me. As soon as they heard your voice, they hastened to screen themselves. Umar said, You have more right that they should be afraid of you, O Allah's Messenger. Then Umar turned towards them and said, O enemies of your soul, you are afraid of me and not of Allah's Messenger? The women replied, Yes, for you are sterner and harsher than Allah's Messenger. Rasulullah said, O Ibn al-Khattab, by him in whose hands my life is, whenever shaitan sees you taking a way, he follows a way other than yours. This is recorded in Al-Bukhari. In another narration mentioned in Al-Bukhari and Muslim, Jarir ibn Abdullah radiallahu anhu said, Since the time I accepted Islam, Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam never once failed to notice me. Whenever he saw me, he would smile at me. All the people who knew Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam were fascinated and enchanted by the dignity and greatness of his character. His sweet and amiable expression made a profound impression on every stranger who met him. No other person in history was privileged to have so many extraordinary qualities and naturally, his companions were ready to sacrifice their lives to protect him. His hospitality and generosity were matchless, and he was the last man to get upset or angry. Indeed, he was so generous that he would never deny anything he was asked. The forgiveness and general amnesty given by Rasulullah to the Quraysh of Mecca who had been insulting and persecuting him for over two decades is well known. William Muir, a historian, wrote, and I quote, the magnanimity with which Muhammad treated a people who had so long hated and rejected him is worthy of all admiration." Unquote. Even the enemies of Rasulullah acknowledged his justice and honesty. Long before he received prophethood, he was called Al-Amin, the truthful, the trustworthy. And so his people always approached him for judgment and consultation. He did not allow people to stand up at citing him out of respect as they usually did before kings or leaders. Visiting the poor and the unfortunate 
and entertaining them were his constant habits. He had no hesitation in accepting the invitation of even a slave. He would sit among the people like any one of them. Simplicity, sincerity were the keynotes of his character. His wife, Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha said that he used to repair his shoes, sew his clothes and share the domestic chores. He was most merciful, gentle and amiable to all. He was eager to serve anyone who served him. He was always in full control of his temper and he never got angry unless it was absolutely necessary. If at all he was angry, it was for the sake of Allah and his deen and not for his own sake. His magnanimity, broad-mindedness and tolerance embraced all people and entitled him to be a father to all of them. He was careful to maintain an equal status with others and did not desire privileges. In an assembly, he would seat himself at the least covetable position next to the last person. Whenever people came to meet him, he would receive them with honor and respect so that each person addressed by Rasulullah would think that there was no one more honored by the Prophet than himself. No questioner was disappointed when seeking advice from the Prophet To him, the most favored one was the most pious one among the people. As for those people who held high positions with their people, the Prophet was attentive to honor and respect them. He never ignored his friends. Moreover, he would visit them even in busy days and inquire about their conditions. Prophet always chose uh, via the medium as far as the circumstances possible. He adopted a moderate approach to all matters. He chose the easier and the more pleasing way to solve problems. While on his deathbed, he sent for the money in his house and distributed it among the poor. Immediately before he breathed his last, he had it publicly announced that if anyone owed him anything, he may claim it, and if anyone was offended by him, he could have instant revenge. Such was the Prophet of Islam, Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. I invite you to take up some time before and during this next ad break to sit down and reflect on what stood out for you today in the Seerah Focus. Which aspect of Nabi Muhammad sallallahu character stood out to you that you would like to bring alive into your life? Indeed, all of them. But subhanAllah, choose one or maximum two and then set out a... Um, an action plan and an accountability plan of how you intend to install the prophetic lifestyle, embrace it and make it as your own too. What changes need to happen? What intention does there need to be? What type of solid action needs to take place? And write that down and set out that goal to work towards it. Insha'Allah. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant us all success in our application of the sunnah, sincerity and steadfastness too. Ameen. Join us after the break as I introduce you to our guest 
who will be speaking to us today and share with you more. Stay with us. Alhamdulillah. Now, by this week, most of us are tired. Holidays may have started for some, and for others, they're back home, and that means being with the whole family over the next few weeks. Today, we look at keeping the peace during the holidays and how we can do this when we are perhaps mentally exhausted ourselves. Our guest today is Sister Shahista Token, an educator, a life coach, and COO of Oqaf South Africa. And Shahista will take us through the topic of keeping the peace during the holidays. Sister Shahista, Assalamu Alaikum. We hope you are well. Welcome to Radio Islam and Jazakumullah Khair for being with us today. Wa alaikum salam wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. How are you, Sister Rihanna? Jazakallah so much for having me on the show. Alhamdulillah. We leave it now to you, Sister Shahista, to take us through with uh, more about the holidays and overcoming challenges that we may face during the holidays, including, you know, overindulgence, de-stressing, healing from burnout, and financial issues which do become a reality in Durban. We also look forward to hearing from you more on the topic of older people and the holiday season. So over to you. Bismillah. So holiday blues um, was the concept that we are discussing and what a pertinent topic for December because everyone just thinks the holidays are rosy and going to be just fine but a lot of people actually struggle in this time and this particular word you know with the blues these are temporary feelings of anxiety or depression and because we are associating it with the holiday season the pressure becomes a lot more. Now, when we talk about this type of pressure, we talk about planning activities, managing expectations of children, of the free time, uh, you know, and these things put stress on the holiday, but also on the entire period and the season. So sometimes being at work for certain people is their social release. When it comes to holidays, on the other hand, some people find it incredibly boring or being lonely. So there's two dynamics to that. Filling the days and filling the free time of one and keeping yourself occupied enough so that you don't go into the state of loneliness and depression. So yes, the holiday season can be a time of great joy. It can be fun. It can be relaxing. It is a period when, you know, we yearn um, to just take a break, TLC, and mostly um, because of the tiredness or the burnout that we've been feeling throughout the year. This is the one time of the year we look forward to where we can actually just put our tools down and rest. However, a prolonged period of time to recoup and recover may not be needed. So we may need a few days, but then what happens to the remainder of the time in this holiday? And these holidays are sometimes then associated with you know, seasonal um, affective disorder, which is where we feel like we need to be constructive too. There is, however, more, these are more serious and more diagnosed um, problems of depression during the holiday period. But the holiday blues is very much a reality for certain people. So the second question is quite a loaded question, and I think I'm going to just divide it into two questions. The first being the financial aspect of these holidays. We don't necessarily have to look at it in the negative. Remember, December is also often a period of time for um, bonuses, 
um, at the end of the year, a lot of people get that pay. Uh, it's a month where we're not working the full month, so that money is a little bit extra because we're saving from transport to work and so on. So it can be a welcomed holiday and a time where we can actually spoil our family because the end of the year also consists of many public holidays. So that ensures free time, free time with our families, free time to do as we please. Now, whether it be December or any other month, finances, on the other hand, are an ongoing stress in households. Living within one's means, having a household budget, and these necessary tools we need to be very much aware of. We need to do research on the type of activities we can afford, what is fun and free, the places, the events. Those are also important, too, for us to relieve ourselves of these lengthy periods of spending. Choosing restaurants and takeaways which are value for money, affordable, also doesn't put a dent in our pockets because we want to have that opportunity to eat out and to spend on our families and to spoil them, but within reason. And it starts with little decisions, being penny-wise, you know, always having the bigger picture in mind. That is the January picture of when we're going to be spending on, as you mentioned, fees, stationery, uniforms, and so on. So, Yes, it is critical that we understand our finances before we spend our finances. Then your second half of the question relating to the mood around where parents are pressurized in the situations they're placed in in December. Most parents, however, welcome the holidays because what it simply means is no carpooling, no lunch making and no homework. Others may dread the holidays because there's no structure, no, you know, productive time for their children. A lot of them have, you know, singular children or siblings of different ages where they can't, you know, um, get along or play together and so on. So that becomes no social company for their kids. In both scenarios, not only does the parent mood affect the environment, but also that the siblings or all the family members within the household get affected by each other. One of the highest forms of stress on a child is the stress which radiates from relationships, either the relationship from the marriage, the relationship from the guardians. So trying to be in complete control all the time is one of the most unnecessary and extreme measures that parents take. And it becomes a deliberate form of stress on the child. In some parents' mind, having control gives them a sense of security. However, I would like to recommend to parents that it is far more important to be imperfect, to have rather the positive attitude to moments of imperfection, have a positive attitude to situations that you know, happen in the household and to rather show the kids warmth and show them reasonable boundaries in which they can participate in. And these lead then to more healthier childhood experiences, but also interactions with your children. I love this question because not a lot of consideration is often given to the elderly. Because they're older and they have so much of experience, we just expect them to be able to adapt easier. But that's not the case, and I think listeners will agree that we can all, as human beings, only handle small doses of emotions. Kids from what would be an epic 
childhood memory, you know, for them. And it's not about even us sacrificing ourselves for these moments, but it's our choice of what we can do and finding alternatives instead of, you know, guilting ourselves for things that we can't do. So rather than, yes, um, you know, being a people pleaser, um, Think about ways in which everyone can, you know, benefit from the situation uh, without affecting or insulting others. And number two, you actually do have control over these decisions. So don't feel in a position where, uh, you know, you are shy to be yourself in any in any room and being honest in any situation. Transparency is the key to positive relationships, to, you know, not being in toxic relationships. Transparency or authenticity, you know, these are qualities that we should aim for in life so that you only attract the right people. So overindulgence, yes, I think, you know, when you're talking about the self-care, we think about self-care is spa days, healthy diets, exercises, and so on. But self-care could also just being you know, mean being mindful of what is harmful to us. During the holidays, this could mean places, people, social media, which puts stress upon us. That's affecting our, you know, our, our self-being. And if it makes us compare or pressurizes us to do things which are not in our capacity, whether it's physically, socially, financially, you know, um, being in a certain location. I think we need to really look at that to balance um, our, our peace of mind. So trying to maintain a holiday routine is often, you know, very difficult. I know a lot of people, however, who travel that have a great breakfast an early supper, not only because it releases them of financial strain, but also it's good for weight management. So we have to find these little tricks of the trade on how to balance our self-care with our indulgence. Now, if we look at things um, that are overindulgent, um, it could be also not just eating out, but also technology and sleeping, you know, things that you know, can motivate the balance or is definitely to look at how much of each um, item of, of uh, you know, self-care are we indulging in? How much time are we given to certain things? And everyone at some point will lose balance, will not be in equilibrium, and that's normal. The balance is being consistent and being mindful that you need the balance. That's more important, that you're conscious of it. Because everyone needs a different element to satisfy themselves in a day. Today I may need um, more sleep. Tomorrow I may need more exercise. I may need more sunlight. You know, so it varies from day to day. Let's not just be hard on ourselves about indulging, but let's be mindful of where we are giving our energies to. So my advice on burnout is pretty, you know, standard. I would say burnout usually, which refers to the fatigue, the strain from work, stressful situations. And holidays offer us this reboot, the reset, the recovery, and it should be used for this purpose. You know, stress directly affects our immune systems. So the tips that I would give to bounce back from this type of burnout is, number one, reconnect with nature. 
The peace and tranquility that nature teaches us helps us appreciate the blessings which we just have in our senses. And the Almighty has given us this physical being to be able to accept and and really take in the goodness of what nature offers. Nature blocks out the noise of activity. It gives us external peace and quiet. It allows us to breathe more deeply, to feel more intensely, taking in oxygen to our brain, which also gives serotonin, which is a form of comfort. Praying, and you know, there cannot be more important in our lives than to have this faith that grounds us, thus that brings us back to our sense of being. That feeling of burnout is an overwhelming feeling that encapsulates our bodies. And when we pray, it's almost like we can imagine it leaving our bodies because our soul needs the healing um, through the submission to our Creator. And it offers us a content heart. And that rebuilds every other feeling that we have, including the one of burnout. Oh, so lastly, the nasiha from me is, you know, time is what we have and what we don't. And I'm going to say that again for us to really understand it. Time is what we have and what we don't. So we need to spend it wisely. We need to make memories. We need to solidify the bonds with family, with friends, with you know colleagues and so on. Allow them to see a peaceful side of us during this holiday period, a playful side of us, a non-rigid side of us. And even as parents, let our guards down with our kids. We no longer have to be in that military mode of getting things done. Just let loose and be free and be calm. Don't be too hard on yourself because we're all just trying to be our best and we're all at some point in our lives questioning whether we are doing it right. So yes, we're all in the same boat. So take it easy and have a restful, amazing holiday. Take care, Sister Rihanna. Jazakallah for having me on the show. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. That brings us to the close of another edition of this week's program and talking about keeping the peace during the holidays. Our thanks to our guest, Shahisa Togan, COO of Okaf South Africa, educator and life coach. Join us next week as we continue exploring legacies we can live and leave behind. Until then, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.